Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome back, church. We're continuing in our series we started last week called Grace Under Fire. It's the idea, when you think of grace under fire, how the Lord transforms us in and through the struggles, the trials, the tribulation, and all that life can bring us. Now, here's a question. Do you believe God is always working for your good and for His glory? And before you answer, be careful. I said, do you always? You see what I'm saying? And if we're honest... I know the Bible declares this to be true, but this is difficult for many of us to believe. This week we're looking at the story of Joseph as God takes him on an unexpected journey to prove that God's grace is always for us and for His people. Well, Lord, I just pray that You would just cause us to have ears to hear what You would want us to hear in hearing the Word of God. Lord, help us to have eyes to see into the spirit realm, the hand of God and His divine providence on our life. Help us to have a nose to smell the rose of Sharon, to know the presence of God is with us always. Lord, help us to have a tongue that would exalt and edify and lift up. Hands that would touch with the tenderness and care of Jesus. And that we would see signs and wonders and healing. And Jesus gets all the credit. Holy Spirit, come. Have your will. Have your way. In Jesus' holy name. We say with me, church? Amen. Well, if you were not with us last week, we discussed how God's grace is always with us. And this week, we're taking another step in understanding the grace of God. As we look at the story of Joseph, but maybe, maybe you've already heard about the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. But if not, let me kind of give us a little bit of a background, a little bit of review before we jump in. So Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob's 12 sons were actually where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the way, how many disciples were there? Ah, something to think on. Now, in the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers got angry at him for sharing about the dreams he would have from the night before and how everybody was going to bow down as he was going to become some kind of ruler over all the family and over everybody. And he's telling them all this. That just made him angry. How many know that siblings don't want to have another sibling on top of them? Doesn't work. And then to top all of that off, Joseph was the coat of many colors. And he was the big spoiled brat because he, the, the, he was the baby of the family until Benjamin showed up. And so there he is and he's just flotting his big mouth. And the brothers were jealous of his favoritism by Jacob. Now, I'm going to give you a little, little sidebar here. There is a massive difference between favoritism 
and favor of God. Favoritism is all based upon performance. Somebody has a, a child and the father or the mother show incredible favoritism to that child. And it's because they were really beautiful or really handsome, good-looking, very humorous, or they were very much like the father or the mother, whatever it might be. And as long as they continue to perform, which got them the favoritism, they're going to have favoritism. But all of a sudden, if they're no longer pretty, if they're no longer this, they're no longer that, the favoritism goes away. You catch that? Because that's favoritism, which is based upon conditions. The favor of the Lord is based upon agape. It's an unconditional love. Just a little sidebar. Now, as we look at this, the brothers really wanted to just flat out murder Joseph. Couldn't stand him. But they ended up just selling him off as a slave to some Egyptian traders. And upon doing so, Joseph ends up in Egypt, eventually being sold to Potiphar. And Potiphar, he's the captain of the palace guard, which means he's very much closely connected to the king of Egypt, we call the Pharaoh. So Joseph finds himself in a foreign land with foreign people, foreign customs, foreign foods, and foreign language. Now, I've been on lots of mission trips. I, I'll tell you one was not really fun as I was in Sri Lanka. It looks like that big tier, like a big tier island um, underneath um, India, okay? And this was probably about, I don't know, maybe six months, about a half a year after the big tsunami I'd hit in, in 05. And so when you're there, when somebody says you're in a foreign land with foreign people, Sometimes we go, oh yeah, they're not like you. What does that mean? That means when you go places, they enjoy putting different kind of oils and things on their body to pronounce their body odor. You smell them before you see them. And I mean, it took quite a while to get used to not trying to put a, a, a grimace on my face as I'm with, with them. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, I'll pray for you. You know what I'm saying? What is that? Because it's foreign. It was culture for them. It was foreign to me. Catch that? I remember eating chicken, and I got the leftovers. So I got this one little piece. I couldn't quite figure out what it was, and I chewed on it. Then I realized it was the neck of the chicken. It wasn't fun. Can you imagine being Joseph? You're in a completely different culture. You don't speak the language. There's nobody there to interpret for you. And you have to go to the restroom. How do you, you understand the awkwardness of all of this? And you're a slave. You go from being the favorite one to just being a slave. And yet, the writer of Genesis, which we know it's Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, he tells us something profound, which ends up greatly affecting the rest of Joseph's story. Go with me to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to look at verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Why don't you all say that with me? Ready? Begin. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. 
Now, I want to know, did you catch it? Did you catch that? Just like we talked about last week, that God's grace is always with us, even if we're in a horrible situation. Here it is. The Lord is with Joseph. And the next part's incredible. Because God's with him, so he exceeded in a few things that he did. But no, what did it actually say? It said, in everything he did. Wow. We can trust God to venture into the deepest, darkest places of our life, even when we're in the deepest, deepest pit, that He'll be with us, not just on the mountaintop, but in the deepest valley. God desires to be close to you all the time. And in Joseph's life, it was clearly God who was guiding. It was God who was protecting Joseph. Now, after spending some extended time being wrongfully imprisoned, falsely accused, Joseph eventually moves up the ranks in Egypt. And in this moving up, he actually encounters his own family members, the ones who sold him, the ones who threw him in the cistern into the pit. And... It was because of the famine that God had showed him the famine was going to come that his family came to Egypt to get provisions, to get grain. Why? Because Joseph had filled up all the reservoirs of grain that everything was to the full and they were the only place to go to get provisions and to get grain. So his brothers show up. And yet... Joseph is actually overseeing the sell of the grain that they came to buy. And that's where we pick up our story. Let's look at Genesis 50, verse 14 to 20. Now, the guys have been there. The families have been there. Jacob has been there. But now Jacob has died. He's an old man. And this is where we pick up the brothers. They're so full of guilt. Look at the manipulation they're trying to do as we read this. Verse 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied them, accompanied them, him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show you his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said, meaning the brothers. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, now here's the manipulation. Let's just call it what it is. Here's the blatant lie. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. Meaning, beating you up to a pulp and then se- and selling you off to some Egyptian traders. For their, sin is tr- for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the Lord of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, now, now understand this, they didn't come themselves, they sent somebody else to do this. Is that not to say a bunch? So when Joseph received the message, see how this man of God behaves. 
He's one of the twelve of the brothers. But this is his reaction to them coming. He broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look! We're your slaves. They said, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You see how Joseph reframed all the pain, all the suffering, all the injustices that were done against him? This is the key. This is that secret sauce. Joseph was able to gain a divine perspective on his own situation. The good, the bad, the ugly. He figured out that clearly God had always been working for His good and for the good of everyone around Him. It's amazing. It says in Romans 8.28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose of His purpose for them. It's clear that in Joseph's life, God's grace was always for Joseph. And it's true in our lives as well. And I can tell you today, it's true in my life. Many of you know that I was adopted. I was adopted between two sisters. And uh, I was raised in a Christian home. And I was blessed to be so. My, sibling, my siblings love me. And do they almost despise that the word adoption comes out. Because all they know is that I'm their brother. And my mom and dad love me as their son. Period. I am a telemontes. But being adopted comes with its own strange things. Anybody here adopted, you'll know what I'm talking about. You can't help the, the crazy thoughts that come. You don't want them to come, but they come. Like, what really happened? Why was I let given up for adoption? Did they want me? Did they want me? But the circumstances as they were, the best thing to do for baby Marvin before I even got out of the hospital is to make sure I went home with Ted and Sarah. And I was blessed to do so. My father and my mom, Ted and Sarah, had always encouraged me to try to go find my dad my biological father. I knew who my biological mother was, Jessie, and I'm in pretty much regular communication with her. But I've never met. His name is John Bouchard. Well, about two and a half, three years ago, um, Chris and a bunch of other people were in the fellowship hall, and Nikki was there. And Nikki and Chris are talking, and before you know it, Nikki shares about a passion of hers as a, as a bit of a hobby, and that is ancestral research. And so after a long period of conversation, Chris goes, well, you know pastors adopted, don't you? She goes, no, I didn't. 
And, and she goes, I'm not sure, but I think Pastor would be fine trying to find his father. Well, she goes, all we have is a name. We don't even know how you spell Bouchard. So she took it, and two and a half, three years later, we're like, I forgot about it. And I've never really researched on my own, to be quite frank with you. I think I have a, a pretty normal apprehension of the reality. I could knock on a door, some guy show up and say, Hi, Daddy! And his wife goes, Who is that? And then all the kids would be there going, Who's that? And if he had never said anything, that could turn out really bad. And I'm sure it has for a lot of people. So a couple Sundays ago, Nikki goes up to Chris and says, Here's some stuff, look at it later. She's like, what are you talking about? That's how far off the radar it is. She had to tell her, I think I found pastor's father. So Chris and I, we got it. And I'm like, what? Tears are rolling down my face. Yeah, <laughs> she cried too. Everybody was crying. So my wife is quite the, uh, the sleuth, and she starts going to Facebook. And she starts doing her little magic with them fingers. And next thing we know, there's, there's a name Bouchard, but there's also a name Transport, which was connected to his wife that he married way after I was born. And they divorced at some point in time a few years after that. I apologize for being so long. Anyways, the long story short, Chris is looking and she goes, I wonder... If John Bouchard's wife, Lucille, kept her married name even after divorce. If my wife would have never thought of that, we wouldn't have, I wouldn't be talking to you today. She put in that name and she came up and found Lucille. Same age bracket, everything that would line up. And then she saw all these cousins and relatives with the name Transport. She goes, oh my goodness. And then she found one that was a daughter. And it said, Tiffany Bouchard. That's my sister. <sighs> I have a half-sister I didn't know about. So Chris started reaching out and said, wrote to Tiffany and said, Hey, my husband and I are looking for a John Bouchard. Would you happen to know him? Didn't hear anything for a few days. And then uh, I found out later from Tiffany, it was at that time that she looked at it and she went and looked and found the picture of me probably on my wife's Facebook page. And she goes, that's my brother. She goes, I know those eyes, those eyebrows, they're my dad's. She said, his hands. He's got my dad's hands. And so... Next thing we know, um, we set up an opportunity to make a phone call. And I talked to Tiffany. Well, actually, before that, Tiffany said, I'll, I'll reach out to my dad. She hasn't spoken to him in, in a very long time. He moved back to Canada where he's from. I'm French-Canadian, not just a taco lover. <laughs> So long story short, my, uh, 
my sister talks to John Bouchard and starts to ask him about me. And he's having a difficult time because he's been speaking his native language, French, for the last seven years now that he's 86 in uh, Canada. So she goes, Dad, English, you never taught me French. And he went back and he was kind of stalling. I don't think he wanted to tell her that he adopted his son. Tiffany says, she goes, I was raised as a tomboy and, and Dad always... My mom had a hysterectomy when we were young, so he, he never got a son. And I always felt that he regretted not having a son. But now I know what it is, is that he didn't have Marvin. And so that was pretty special. She asked him, and finally he said that he kind of remembered. And then he asked, do you remember Jesse? That's my biological mom. And He nodded his head after all these years. You're talking over like 58 years. And he remembered. And he really did love her. All the stuff that we knew about him, um, she validated before we even offered. She volunteered it. He was a uh, pro hockey player. That's where I get my athleticism. He was fast. I was fast. I'm a legend in my own mind. Maybe he is too. Um. He gave his life to the Lord about five years ago. Uh, my sister Tiffany actually used to work at um, Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. And so we talked for the longest time. Who am I trying to say? There's grace under fire. I couldn't understand. Why was I adopted? What was this all about? As a matter of fact, there was a period of time that I pastored my first pastorate in Grass Valley, California. Do you know where he lived a few years before I even got there? Grass Valley. Do you know that he, he is an architect and a builder? I have always, throughout the years, drawn up papers, drawn up these sketches, and then go out and build things off my little sketch. I was like being little John. Had no idea. It was just in my DNA. Nobody ever taught me. And here it is. We would go to this pizza parlor. Really great facility. I mean, this great building and, and all, this whole shopping center. I found out later that he built it. He designed and built the very pizza parlor. I was probably at the market when he was at the market. He was there all the same years I was there. Divine providence. And there's no doubt in my mind that you have a story too. And there's divine providence in your story. You're not an orphan. And neither am I. I belong to the King. To my Heavenly Father. And He will take care of all those questions and all those things that tear at your soul if you will allow Him who grab you and in a moment, suddenly, He will yank you out of the pit and you will be a different person. I told my wife after speaking last week, I said, I just, I'm different. I don't know why. 
Because in a moment, there could be a void in your life you have no idea about how big it is, and God, in a moment, fills it. Amen? So here's the question on the table for us today, which requires an action on your part, an action on my part. When we know God's grace is for us, and even grace for others, how should we respond? So one of the ways you respond is you should show forgiveness. The brothers are clearly afraid of Joseph right now. And the passage tells us that. And the brothers seem to think that Joseph, now that Jacob is finally passed, he's dead, will want to seek revenge and pay the brothers back for the decision to sell him into slavery. They, they figured that Joseph would act just like they would themselves would act if they had the power and if they had the authority. But Joseph was different because of the pain and because of the suffering. And he had experienced God's grace in all of it. And he was not the same. And he was not like them. I mean, you could hear it when he says in Genesis 50, verse 19, as we just read a, a little while ago, he said, am I God that I can punish you? Wow. Billy Graham said this. He said, it's the Father's job to judge. It's the Spirit's job to convict. And it's my job to love. It's God's job to judge. It's a spirit's job to convict. And it's my job to love. I wonder what would happen in our own hearts and in the hearts of others if we truly sought to live with this proper view of forgiveness. Now here's another one. Remember again, the question we would ask ourselves, if we know God's grace is for us and even grace for other people, then how should we respond? And this one would be, we invite people in. Joseph illustrated this principle when he goes well beyond words. He tells the guys, I'm not going to kill you. Relax. And not only does he tell them to relax, he tells them, you're invited in. I will take care of you. And I will take care of your families. How would you respond if your brothers had beaten you to a pulp, sold you as a slave, and now you were second in command of all of Egypt. And you could have had them all killed by a snap of your finger. And he doesn't even think about revenge. He just says, no, 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 no. You guys are going to live with here with me in Egypt. I, I gave you guys great farms. I gave you guys the best land. Hey, 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 whatever you need, I'm going to take care of it. And I'll take care of your kids. Just relax. Your family here. Wow. Who reacts that way? A true believer. A true believer. Because he saw the hand of God. He saw God's grace in his own life. And so now, how could I not do but what God had done in me? He understood something about grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body. 
Now here's Paul. He writes this book of Corinthians. We're talking, this is probably close to 26 generations later. And he's writing, and you can tell, like Joseph got this before Paul ever wrote this. And he says, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. He gets it. We're all a part of the family. There's only going to be one banqueting table. It's going to be a big one. And we're all invited to be at the same table. It's not Thanksgiving and the kitty table over over there on the side. We're all at the big table. Catch that. Even the ones who were hurting him, he invited them to his table. That means when you come to know Jesus Christ, we all enter into the family of God with many brothers and many sisters around the world. I remember being even in Bulgaria and I got to do communion. And it was something special. Here I am with other believers and they were singing the same songs we sing every Sunday. I just couldn't understand them. They were singing in Bulgarian. So I sang the same song in English. I had to sing louder so I didn't hear their words. As the minister would lead us in communion, I would take the bread and then I would take the cup. I felt family. That's what's beautiful about the faith. No matter where you go, there's family. But when it comes to the grace of God being shown, we can't limit our imitation to those who are already followers of Jesus and only followers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And everybody gets all excited. Isn't this great? No, it's actually not. What do you mean? Well, for one, it's a form of communism. How many have ever figured out that communism never works? And how many know that as you continue to read that you find out this doesn't work either? Here's one of the big problems. As long as you were a believer, you could come in. They had already tried that. As long as you were a Jew, you could come in. If you were a Hebrew, you could come in. But Jesus said, there's this thing called the Great Commission. Go into all the world, the foreign places, the places where they enhance body odor. Go into all the world. Catch that. I wonder if the Holy Spirit was convicting the hearts of many to give their lives to Jesus and then only those were allowed to be in, quote-unquote, the village. Church, is that our daily rhythm too? Only if you're like us? That's not grace. That's not Jesus. Remember, it's the great commission, not the great suggestion.
So again, here's a third one. We know God's grace is for us, and we know God's grace is for somebody else, and how should we respond? Well, here's a third one. Be willing to be used by God right from where you're at. So, so there's a 30,000-foot view we must take on this passage as we read it in Genesis 50. So as we said earlier, Joseph was sold into slavery to Egypt where he grew in favor with those he interacted with. Eventually, he was put in charge of providing for the nation and the, amidst an incredible famine, including his own family. And in the end, Joseph came to a conclusion, and this was the right conclusion. And this is where he comes up with the concept, with the idea that God had brought him to that position so that he, so that Joseph could save the lives of many people. And this is where I want us to land today. This is a very profound and holy place that I want us to land. If God brought you to this current season, even if the enemy of your soul was attempting to harm you in the process, God has a divine purpose for you right where you're at. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your education is. I don't care how many zeros are in your bank account. Right where you're at, God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has something for you. It's all preparatory for that. You see me, don't you, sweetie? Yes, you do, big smile. For those who are listening on the podcast, I just saw my grandbaby and she saw me. She is too cute. Oh, my goodness. Amen. We're done, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. God has a divine purpose for you right where you're at. What if God has brought you to this position, to this place? I know it doesn't maybe feel like it, but actually a holy place. In your life right now, so that God could use you, to help provide, to help save lives. Remember when Joseph was in the pit more than once? That he did not necessarily see that as the end of his story or the end of his family's story. He knew what God had given him in his dreams. He knew that they were prophetic. I believe it's what kept him going. It's almost as though Joseph was constantly asking himself something, even when he's in the pit. He's asking himself, in view of God's grace, in view of God's mercy, how is God positioning me so that God can use me? As ugly as it might be right now, as horrendous and heavy as it feels right now, Maybe you remember this because Joseph had modeled this in what we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Again, remember, this is generations and generations before Paul wrote this in Romans. And you can see Joseph connecting with this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, say it with me, church, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice. 
The Bible invites us into a worldview of being a living sacrifice. Chances are you can look back on your life and see the evidence that God has always been working for your good and for His glory. If you're willing to look beyond all the pain and all the suffering, you'll see the hand of God in spite of it all. It's through those moments that God will bring us to a place of sharing His grace with other people and inviting them as well. Well, as we close, maybe today you're hearing all of this and you're simply having a hard time believing it all. Maybe you're thinking, that's all great, Pastor. But that was Joseph in the Bible, and I'm not Joseph. You don't understand my lifestyle, my sin, my unhealthy habits. God's never been with me. In fact, God has abandoned me and left me to deal with everything all alone. That's you. I just hope to encourage you and remind you that God is with you. That God is for you. God does not see your pain and suffering as an end, but that He will use that pain and that suffering to actually help save many lives. i got a story. You know what it's like going to a family reunion? My nickname, because I was so pale with all the Mexicans. My father Ted's nickname growing up because the sun would darken his skin, they would call him Negro. You know what that means? Black boy. So I would show up to a, a venue like this and I was not received because I was considered white. And I would go to school and I would have the football jerseys and it said Telamantes on it. And I wasn't received because I was a Mexican kid. So tell me, where do you go? Your own family, extended family, don't want anything to do with you. You want to know how I found out I was adopted, by the way? I'm at Grandma's house in Stanton, California. I'm there in the kitchen, and it's just relatives. Oh my goodness, just the best, aren't they? There's always one, right? I'm this little kid, seven, eight years old. And I'm running through the kitchen, playing with all the kids. And that relative, who I don't even know to this day, is that the adopted one? And points right at me as I give eye contact and she gives eye contact to me. That's how I find out. I don't even know what the word adoption means. Don't we all have pain and suffering? But when I can stand up here and I can tell you, you belong. Because the Bible says we're all adopted into the kingdom of God. And I get it a little bit better than most of you. And I can tell you, it's true. It's true. If that's you, you need to know He is with you. You need to know Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the plans I have for you, 
Now, this is Israel. They're so upset. They believe God's abandoned them. They believe God is nowhere there, that the favor and the blessings of God are gone and there will never be for their generation. And it says right here, this is what Jeremiah, God raises up a prophet named Jeremiah, and he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah is prophesying. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. See, God knows. God sees. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And when the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, God spoke to Joshua. And He told them this. This is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Matter of fact, you go through that whole chapter, you're going to find He says this exact same thing three times. Whenever you find three in the Bible, something said three times, it's an emphatic What's that mean? It's like your mama telling you you can't have cookies. No, no, no. It's an emphatic. And it says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mean, didn't we, when we started in the message, Genesis 39, didn't we see? The Lord was with Joseph. Catch that? If God can be with them, He says, I'm no respecter of persons. God's with you. God's with me. So hear me when I say to you today that this side of the resurrection, this truth of God being with you is even more true than even in the Old Testament. See, back in the Old Testament, they were afraid of God. Hey, Moses, you go up the mountain. Why? He's a God out there. We know that He opens up the earth and bad things happen. People fall in. We know fire and brimstone, Sodom, Gomorrah. You know what? You go. I'll stay right here. And now we get to the New Testament and there's little babies born. Oh, so cute. And he's called Emmanuel. From the God out there to now the God with us. And then Jesus says, I have to go. So I can send to you the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He will be now God in you. So no matter where you go, He's in you. You believe in God? He's in you. Wherever you go, He goes. Even in the bathroom. He's with you. No matter how deep the pit, No matter how high the mountain peak, He's with you. God is for you. Father, I pray for Your people today. Lord, help us not just to hear this as a teaching. Help us to hear this as a divine Word that transforms the way we see our relationship with God. God's not trying to be angry and hateful and spiteful towards us. That God is with us. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. God, You're in us. No matter how dark and ugly it might be, if you're Joseph falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife, and now he's in a prison for something he didn't even do. An innocent man. Lord, we all have a story, some heavy things we've had to carry. But You said, hey, take my yoke, for it's easy. God, help us to give our heaviness to You.
to know that You're with us, that You're for us. That Your grace is sufficient. And that in the end, we'll see that there's actually a purpose, a future, and a hope that You can get us through all these hard things. That we could be a blessing to somebody else and just share our story. We pray, Father, Your will, Your way, Your grace, Your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.